Welcome to the B&E Podcast with Brandon Colby-Cook and Evan Schulte. Exploring the creative process and finding the balance between artistry and industry. Entirely uncut and unscripted. Hey Evan, guess what? What? We're doing another podcast. Another one? This one's topical though. Oh my god, how many of these things are we going to do? Probably a lot more. Probably a lot more, you're right. (laughs) Um, So this one's topical, so we actually know what we're going to talk about today. Yeah. And uh, more or less. More or less. I mean, we don't really know what we're going to talk about, but at least we have a title. Yeah, we have a subject sort of to, to foray. Yeah. Into. Yes. Why don't you tell us what it is? Well, sir, the title of this podcast is The Illusion of How a Masterpiece is Made. What? (laughs) (laughs) So it was actually spurred on by a little man. A little man. (laughs) Who made Facebook. Yes. Yes. Yeah. It was uh, a Mark Zuckerberg quote that uh, you had posted. I saw that you had shared recently. You posted on the social media world. Yes. And I, I was did. like, that's a great quote. That's really fantastic. And it's a robust quote. It's, yes. It's, it's technically a paragraph yeah. of a quote. Um, although there's kind of like several quotes in this paragraph. I mean, you could take any several, like any one of them and you could kind of just use a little bit of it here and Mm -hmm. there and be like, Mark Zuckerberg said this, but what happened was the way I found it was I was reading an article about Mark Zuckerberg and actually Bill Gates as well. Mm. And they were talking about the way the future is going and how machines are going to basically take a lot of these, um, jobs we have. And they were kind of talking about how, yeah, what I talk about a lot on this show is about how the education system based on the industrial model doesn't work anymore. And they were basically confirming how that's going to change drastically in the next 10 to 15 years. Yeah. And, uh, part of Mark Zuckerberg's speech, I just read this portion of it. I'm like, that's fucking brilliant. Yeah. And so I was like, you know what? I'm going to share that, that part of the speech because it really does sum up a lot of what his yeah. points were. And anyway, it's, uh, this yeah, is, read, read it for us. Cause there's just so much in this and why we've picked it as a subject matter is because of how tantalizing it is and how much is relevant to artists. So it's so relevant to art. He yeah. even mentions like, you know, the way pop culture and uh, movies are going. Yeah. So it's just so perfect. It's timely. It's, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's something. Yeah. Okay. So here we go. Let me tell you a secret. Ideas don't come out fully formed. They only become clear as you work on them. You just have to get started. If I had to understand everything about connecting people before I began, I never would have started Facebook. Movies and pop culture get this all wrong. The idea of a single eureka moment is a dangerous lie. It makes us feel inadequate since we haven't had ours. It prevents people with seeds of good ideas from getting started. Mark Zuckerberg. Mic drop. Boom. Yeah. What a gift. I mean, let's break this down. I'm going to break it down into three parts. Okay. At least three. All right. First part. So he's, he's sharing the secret. He says, ideas don't come out fully formed. They only become clear as you work on them. You just have to get started. Yeah. That's the first most important part. And I think we'll, we'll touch on that as one thing. Yeah. Then he gets personal. He shares his own personal experience of this. He says, 
If I had to understand everything about connecting people before I began, I never would have started Facebook. Right? Yeah. So he's kind of sharing like, like how Facebook is not like, wasn't just born as Facebook. It started out as an idea. And from what I understand, it started out with an idea of actually a college kid who, who wanted to know, like, wouldn't it be cool if we knew who was single and who wasn't? Mm-hmm. That's really where Facebook kind of came from. It was like a way to connect everybody at school. So you can kind of see like who's in your school and who's single and who's not. Yeah. Just kind of a guy boy type thing. Right. Yeah. So it's become obviously this cultural phenomenon, but it started from a very kind of just little thing. Yeah. I think people can forget that. The next part, he says, movies and movies and pop culture get this all wrong. The idea of a single Eureka moment is a dangerous lie. It makes us feel inadequate since we haven't had ours. It prevents people with seeds of good ideas from getting started. So I think this is a, it is another, this third part's really important because it's like, for those of us who are, you know, pursuing the arts, especially movies and, and, and all of this, I mean, I think we think that I need to come up with this really great movie idea. I need to come up with this spectacular thing. Mm-hmm. And if I can do that, if I could only get my big break, you know, that I could, I could just make my whole career and that's what it's yeah. going to be. But, um, you know, it's funny, I was listening to another podcast on film and they were talking about, uh, Kevin Smith, for example, and Kevin Smith, Clerks wasn't a eureka moment for him. Clerks was nobody's making a movie about where I grew up and what life looked like. And so he went off and made that. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so the, it becomes a eureka moment in hindsight, but not initially. And so we don't, we might have a eureka moment and not know we have it until later. Yeah. That's something I kind of want to point out. So we kind of just got to get started. If you, if you have an idea that you think is really good, like start it. And it might not work out. It might not be the Eureka, but start with the idea. Yeah. And you might have to do it several times, but you know, I'm sure Mark Zuckerberg had many other ideas, but you just never hear about yeah. it. You're, right? It's like, you know, the thing that about this is like your Eureka moment might've been like an idea that you gave up on. Sure. You know, like it's just like, it's, it's totally possible because I mean, what we've titled this is like, you know, we've put, we've included masterpiece in the title, right? The illusion of how, how to make your master or how, I don't remember what we titled it. It's like <laughs> the illusion of how to, how to make your masterpiece. And, um, the, uh, the thing is that I don't believe that most artists, or at least the ones that we would maybe know, um, like that we would know, um, by name, their household names or whatever, whatever field that they're in. Um, I don't know if anybody's ever like begun a piece and said, this is going to be my masterpiece. You know, I think all, I think there only might be a select few moments in time by a select few moments in history. Um, a few people who probably have had enough experience and had done enough where, and even then it might've only been a scenario of this might be a masterpiece. But the thing is, like you said, I think that's only something that, you know, in retrospect, because I don't know 
if you can ever know that you're actually making a masterpiece. You might be able to go, there's something here. There's something that I think is kind of magical about this. But you can't really spend too much time thinking about that. Because if when, when you're when when that's what you're thinking about, you're re- then all of your your direction, all of your motivations, all of your intentions that are going into it are now about it being something about it becoming this masterpiece, which you don't even know if it will be that. Well, I want to ask another question. Do you, or does anyone know what a masterpiece actually is? Yeah. Right. Like how do we know it's a masterpiece? Like, what is it? Is it because everybody says it's great because everybody liked it because it made a lot of money? Like, because comparatively it's, you know, special looking or, or sounding or whatever. Yeah. I mean, where do we draw the line with masterpiece? And I want to suggest an idea that I kind of stumbled across yesterday and it's been, I've been studying all these filmmakers. I've been studying like Steven Spielberg and Quentin Tarantino and Robert Rodriguez and, and Kevin Smith and just all these people, you know, who created something really special and kind of launched their career. And, mm-hmm. and they're kind of notorious for what they've done. And we look back and we say, well, Reservoir Dogs is a masterpiece and Clerks is kind of this masterpiece. Yeah. And we not look, all people would think it is, no. but yeah. Well, he, you know, what's, what's really interesting about, uh, what's really, really interesting about Steven Spielberg is that his first feature, I believe was $500. Hmm. <laughs> He made it for $500. Now I'm, I don't think it's a masterpiece film, but the thing is, is that launched his whole career as a director. Yeah. You know? And so, um, you look at, you look at what, like, so Robert Rodriguez and I've been breaking it down. I've been looking at how much they spent. So Robert Rodriguez, I can list off the numbers, $7,000 for his film, right? Uh, Steven Spielberg, $500 for his film, Kevin Smith, $23,000 for his film. Um, Quentin Tarantino, 1.2, 1.3, I think it might be 1.3. Now here's the thing. These, the thing with you look at Tarantino, his is designed the same way as all theirs were designed. Like same as the Blair Witch, same as all of this. They're all like, if you look at it, they're, they're like, just look at the numbers, look at the film, look at the cast, look at the location setup. They're all designed exactly the same. The thing with yeah. Quentin Tarantino, which is really interesting is that Harvey Keitel somehow got his hands on the script. Somehow that happened. And Harvey Keitel was apparently what championed that movie, which is why a movie that could have been made for 23,000 or whatever, or seven, maybe got made for 1.3. Now, Harvey Keitel with all his experience saw this script and said, this thing's fucking brilliant. I'm going to make that. But I don't like, I don't know if Tarantino knew as he was making Reservoir Dogs that this was his masterpiece. Yeah. You know what I mean? Cause Quentin Tarantino is, uh, from what I've understood. And I mean, I'm still digging in, don't get me like, I'm not an expert. So there's probably some Tarantino fan out there. who's like, I know everything about Tarantino. Okay. Bear with me. I'm, I'm, I'm learning and, and share. But the thing is, is that Tarantino wrote a lot of scripts and he, he was, uh, he shared that, you know, I wrote a lot of scripts and a lot of scripts. They ended at like page 30 and they never got completed. And he'd had a lot of stuff, a lot of ideas that never got completed until he got to Reservoir Dogs. And he actually, uh, you know, True Romance was another one of his scripts and stuff like that. Also brilliant. Um, but the thing is, is that 
he, you know, the, so as I've gone through all this, as I looked at the Blair Witch, I looked at Clerks, I looked at Reservoir Dogs, I looked at um, all the stuff that like Spike Lee stuff, all this stuff, the, the same message kept coming back to me. It was the same. And it's one, I can sum it up in one word. And it's just a totally, I think, unexplored territory for us and something we're not encouraged to do. It's one word, authenticity. Mm. Tell me that any of those films don't have one thing in common across the board. It's authenticity. Yeah. Each one had that creator's personal voice in there that was unlike anything ever done before. And they trusted that. Yeah. And that's where the masterpiece exists, but we don't know it because we don't think our authenticity is that special. Yeah. So that's why it's really hard when you're not experienced, like you said, to know a masterpiece. Yeah. You make a really, really good point. Um, because yeah, these things that it's like, yeah, you never know if you're going to create uh, a masterpiece or not. The only thing that, you know, that's not really s- something that's in your control. You know, I think that's another one of the illusions of a masterpiece, right? It's like so often you hear stories of, of things that started off as just like, I didn't know what, I, like, we didn't know what we were doing. Um, you know, we, but you know, we were tight knit, we believed in it and we just did the best that we could with what we had. And then suddenly it just like, there's something about it that just catches on that people just respond to. And it usually comes down to that authenticity because that authenticity is, is the voice. Like you said, it's the, um, it, it is your unique voice as opposed to, um, you know, a lot of, uh, teachers and mentors will say shit to you, like be interesting. And I just hate that shit. I just absolutely hate, like, you know, their, their intention is in the right place, but that's not really how you create something that's interesting is by trying to be interesting, by trying to be interesting. You're going to create some bullshit that is either completely masturbatory or is completely like something or everything else you've ever seen before. Right. Or heard before. And I, and I think you're, I think you're, you're spot on. I've heard this before is like, make an interesting choice. Now I'm going to just paraphrase that because there may be teachers out there who are just, who are saying that, but they actually mean make a choice that you're interested in something that excites you, that that inspires you, that encourages you, that, that seems unknown. But if you make the choice going, I know this is interesting. I know I'm going to be so cool when I do this. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's absolutely opposite. That's, that's absolutely carbon copy bullshit. That's the, I think the, the, if you want to guarantee one thing, you'll never come up with a masterpiece is start doing that. Start being interesting and knowing you're interesting. If you know that you will be interesting, you probably won't be. Yeah. I think you will be surprised if you are interested, how interesting you become. Yeah. Watch children, you know, just like watch how children play, watch how interested they get in a new toy that they haven't mm-hmm. really, you know, and, and them try and figure it out. It's fascinating. Yeah. It's fascinating. But like when someone like, you know, and that's kind of a very like uh, early stage of it, but like, we kind of got to be interested, not interesting. Yes. You know, that's the difference. Right. And I think interested tells me like when I'm interested, I don't know, 
I'm curious. I'm, I'm in wonder. Yeah. So I want to know. And that's the difference. But when I'm trying to be interesting, I think I know, and I'm not in wonder. I think I'm ahead of the game somehow. Like I, like I, I've rigged the system somehow, but it's yeah. like, I haven't, I'm just the only person I'm fooling is myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And also because I think your work has to be able to like, to me, creation is like, it's uh it's kind of like a, it's a collaboration. Even if it's just your, if, even if it's just you in a room writing or painting or making music, it's, it's still a collaboration because there's still something that I'm engaging with that is something that is kind of unknown to me. Like I'm working on some music right now on like a song and I'm, and I'm, and I'm moving and I'm, I'm, I have like a couple of things, right? I have the seed of an idea and I'm like, okay, so it kind of goes like this. All right. And I really like that. It does something. It does. It's not something that makes me go. That's interesting. Like I do find it interesting, but it's something that hits me more on an emotional level. I'm like, yes, like I love this. There's something stirring, something moving about this. It does something for me. Mm -hmm. And now I follow that and I'm like, okay, so where's it going to go from here? And sometimes it's just like you're, I'm just sitting there playing playing two chords back and forth of what I do have. Cause that's the only thing I have right there's, and I, you just go back and forth and back and forth and, just, and then you try something else. Nope. That doesn't work. Try something else. Oh, that's not too bad, but I don't quite like this. So I remove like one little note that I had in that chord or something like that. And it comes up with, and the sound comes out and I'm like, that's good. I really like, and like, that's kind of, but I don't know. I don't have the whole thing fully formed because I can't possibly comprehend how it's going to become what it's going to become, Mm. you know, because if you have that all so perfectly controlled, then it becomes so lifeless. It becomes so unexciting, but that is so often the approach that I think that we take. I mean, I'm, I speak a lot from my experience, um, as an actor, in this and what really was in some ways a eureka moment for me in my acting was, was, um, was realizing the control that I didn't have or realizing how much I was trying to control what was happening, how much I was stepping into a scene being like, okay, it's going to go like this and it's going to go like this and it's going to go like this and this and this because I want it to be like this and I want it to be great right? Trying to make, create that masterpiece. And so, you know, I've, pl- I'd planned everything in that scene of how I was going to be, how I was going to, to relate to the other person who was in the scene, who at times I never even, I had, I hadn't even done the scene with them yet. And then basically you get like two lines into it in, in the first interaction. And it's completely fucked because the person has done something that you didn't think was going to happen. And now you're still trying to like, you're trying to cram a, a, a round peg into a square box. And you're and then at the end, it's like, fuck, why didn't that work? I worked so hard on this, you yeah. know, and blah, blah, blah. It's just like, yeah. Cause it's like, I wasn't really actually engaged with anything. I wasn't actually really engaged with the creative process you know, like I can come in with some of these ideas, but then I, but then I've got to see what's going to happen here. Mm-hmm. And once I start to figure that shit out, it's like, Oh, this is actually when it gets good. 
you know, this is not only is this when it gets more fun and exciting for me, but the byproduct of that is that suddenly it gets a lot more interesting and engaging for the audience too, Mm -hmm. because I was getting suddenly interested and curious about what was happening and showing up fully and presently to that. Right. But it requires that you just go into it mm-hmm. without knowing everything. You know, it's interesting in the sense that I'm thinking about, thanks for sharing that. I mean, I'm thinking about when I used to play sports, um, very seriously and I played, um, my first couple teams that I played for were championship teams. Like they won everything. Mm. So I was very used to kind of winning, being with the top players. I was a small fish on the big in the big pond of it all. Right. Like, yeah. you know, um, but then I, the training was so good on these, on these teams that when I actually ended up getting cut from them and I was a bench rider for those first two teams, I wasn't really like some minor part in our championships, mm-hmm. but then the team that I got, I got cut from them and I actually went to another team. And in the next team, um, I became, I was trained so well, I became the free kick taker. I became the captain of the team. I became, you know, kind of the star of this team, right? The, right. Kind of the leader. And it was, you know, it was a uh, kind of a losing team. You know, it was, I, I would say that we were, you know, we were bottom of the bottom of the ring team. We weren't a total devastation team, but we were like, not, you know, I was used to championships. I was, I have gold medals from, you know, this other teams, right? So, yeah. But, um, you know, being, being that we're playing, um, and you kind of go into a game kind of knowing you're going to lose, like not, not that, you you know, you have the hope you might win. And Mm -hmm. sometimes we pull it off, but you kind of knew, like, sometimes you play the top team, you know, um, you, you kind of knew you, you might lose. And, um, what was interesting though, was to give your heart to it anyway, Mm because you could find something in that. And I think ideas are a little bit like that. You know, there, there's sometimes you're like, you know, I got this idea and it's just seeing, it seems like a loser idea. It just seems like a losing idea. Like what are the chances of this ever working out? But I think that's kind of how ideas are. They're not always, I don't think you always get them and you're like, "I, I have the winner, but here's a really interesting thing. The best team in the league we, we qualify for, uh, we qualify for, uh, quarterfinals. We, we, we've managed to pull through like kind of a bottom barrel team pull through, right? We play the, uh, best team in the league in, uh, or maybe it was actually the initial part of the playoffs it might've been the first round because we were so low on the barrel. Anyway, we play them. Our goalie shuts them out and we score a goal and we win one, nothing against the best team in the league. Yeah. Now, what's so incredible about that is that all season we dealt with loss after loss after yeah. loss. I remember coming off and I'd never been a captain before. I remember coming off the field and everybody's heads hanging low. And I remember, uh, actually it was my dad. He said, you know, you can't let your team walk off with their heads down. You got to be like, good fight, good going, good, whatever. And I was learning, I was learning how to be a leader. Right. And the biggest lesson I learned through that was you know, you can say all you want about leaders of winning teams because that's easy in a way because you kind of know you don't really have to do a lot. I mean, everybody's up when everybody's winning. It's really easy. But to be a leader of a losing team 
And so like, I think that there's with ideas and these things, you know, these, you you know, we want to, we want to do these masterpieces or have these eureka moments. A lot of us come from places of poverty. We come from places of, you know, I was in a trailer park. I was living in a fucking trailer park at the time. Yeah. You know, like in, in some ways we had lost all our money. And and to me, sports was kind of my way to kind of like find and claim my own kind of path, you know? Yeah. And some people like, you know, I was temporary for me, but some people are born into that. They're born into like a ghetto. They're born into something. And so they, they think, man, like all the odds are stacked against me. And I think like with an idea, you know, you kind of, you got to champion it. You, you know, you don't know, it could be a winner. It could be. And that was a beautiful game of soccer. Mm. We scored one goal and we shut out this team that was literally undefeated up until that point. They had won every single game that season until they met us again. They beat us twice already until they met us again in playoffs. And we won this fucking underdog team won by a goal. It was incredible. I mean, we also won the provincial cup. Like I, like not the team that I was on, but the team Mm -hmm. before we won the provincial cup and I had a gold medal. I played for about 15 minutes of that game. And I have a gold medal to say that I was a provincial cup winner, but I barely was a part of that team. This other team that we won, won nothing against the best team in the league. We didn't win any reward awards, but, and I'll have no gold medal for it, but I was a big part of that team. Yeah. And we beat the best undefeated team. That's like going up, like for us at the time, that was like going up against Mike Tyson or something, you know, that's like going up against the impossible. And, and that was the difference. It was one goal. That was it. And they just couldn't score on us. But that's the thing. Like, I think the thing is, is with sometimes a masterpiece is not, it's not the way you think it's going to be. It's not the game final. It's, it's somewhere in the middle of the road. That's just this moment of brilliance, you know? And like, the thing is, is like, truly, no one, no, no one other than the parents and the kids and the people who are at the game will ever remember that it's, I'm not, it's not going to be written about in any magazines. No one's ever going to note it. But for us at that time, at our teenage lives to have that moment was sheer brilliance was just one of those moments you'll never forget for the rest of your life. And who knows when these things are going to come, you know? And, and the thing is, is like by all intents and purposes, we went into that game going like, let's just give it all we got guys. This is all we got. Yeah. And I think an idea is kind of like that, you know, and I think what like Zuckerberg's kind of saying is like, you just got to start, you got to go into the game. You got to play, you got to try, Yeah. you know, and who knows, you know? And, and yeah. I think ideas are like that. We, we don't know. And I think you might, um, do many pursuits this way and lose and, and the idea doesn't work out or pan out. Yeah. But eventually if you keep kind of doing it and pursuing these things that you believe in, that you're there and you have purpose for, you know, it might not be in lights at the end of the day. It might not be written about in magazines, but it'll be your personal masterpiece. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of why I want to bring that back to like my first question is like, what is a masterpiece? Is it something everyone else knows? Yeah. Right. Not necessarily. Right. It might just be a small group of people. Might just be know. you it might be your own little masterpiece. Yeah. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Cause like, like, I mean, I think that's the thing we're indoctrinated into the idea that masterpieces are only the ones that include everybody. You know, a lot of painters were never knew they wrote master or painted masterpieces yeah. until they were dead. They didn't never knew. Yeah. They actually never knew. We all know, yeah. but we're like, totally you know great I mean? composers too. A lot yeah. of great composers died penniless. Right. And now we're just like, Oh my, 
God, the royalties they could have <laughs> have accumulated by by today. Um, <laughs> but yeah, absolutely. Like it's not always, and that might se- sound kind of depressing, but it's really not. It's like a freeing thing. It's really about saying, it's like, well, what do you want to create? What really fucking cranks your engine? Like, what are the ideas? What are the inspirations that are coming to you that are asking for expression that are asking, have come to you and are asking you to communicate them? And how many of them are you putting off? How many of them are you and, and also include myself in this too. Like, I think that we, we all come up against this, you know, and we just start to learn to be a little bit better, but I don't know if it ever necessarily com- entirely goes away. Hmm. You know, a book we talk about all the time, Stephen Pressfield's the war of art. He talks about like, you know, he's a guy who's been doing it for such a long time as a writer, like in a really prolific one too. And he says he gets up every day and he hits and he faces his resistance every single day. Doesn't matter. Mm. He's just kind of gotten used to it. Still there. Right. But you just get better at it. And I think the thing is that's so important about having these seeds of ideas and the, and there's so many important things that, that Mark Zuckerberg is saying in that whole quote that you found that you, that you pulled out, but it was like, because it's like, there's seeds of great ideas. They're never fully realized. Right. And, and the danger of thinking that it has to be because it it can easily like the, the quest of, of having a perfect idea, having the whole concept, the whole, the whole thing prepared beforehand, it's massively deceptive. And it also will get you to just sit and do nothing as opposed to just kind of diving in and going for it and, and being okay with it, not being fully formed and being okay with the fact that, you know, some of the seams are going to be showing on it part of the way through, Hmm. you know, those things get ironed out, you know, those things get worked out, but the important, and I, I think it goes into a lot of other practical wisdoms that we've talked about on here, you know, like, um, great scripts aren't written, they're rewritten, right? Like it's just things like that, that Mm. are all kind of feed into this idea. It's just like, get the, like, get the seed out, start creating with the idea that you have. Mm. Um, because otherwise it becomes a crushing weight on us. We have this idea and we're all excited about it and we have a few ideas you know, maybe a couple of images or a couple of directions that, that kind of come with that initial hit of inspiration, which is great. It's exciting. And then we don't do anything about it. I know I've done that Hmm. where I'm like, I haven't done anything about this idea that came to me because now I'm like, okay, so, well, how is this going to go? And, and how is this going to go? And and oh shit, you know, like I want it to be like this and I want it to be like this and blah, blah. And next thing you know, there's all of this shit that's just crushing you. you I, I've got all of this like anxiety and all of this, whatever about this thing that started off as a really exciting thing. 
it's kind of, he's kind of saying like, don't think about it so much. Mm. Stop thinking about it so much, you know, do it, Mm. do it a little bit more and you'll, and you'll figure it out along the way. And it won't be perfect and it'll be a little bit bumpy in some parts. That's part of the process. And it's part of the, what's, what's beautiful about the process is the bumps along the way. It is. And the idea that you have right now is not necessarily the idea that you're meant, that's meant to be your masterpiece. This idea is simply there to help lead you to your masterpiece idea. Mm. And you don't know how many ideas you'll have to venture down those roads before you get to that masterpiece idea. And for some of us, it will be the first idea we have is the masterpiece. And for others, it will be the hundred and seventh or whatever, Mm -hmm. or the thousandth, like, you know, like, uh, the light bulb. Yeah. So like, or 10,000, I don't know. Apparently I always, I hear 10,000, sometimes I hear a thousand. I never really know, but either way, it's incredible amount of persistence. Regardless, the thing is, is that, you know, we, we, um, ideas are, they're, the thing about an idea, which I find, you know, interesting one that you're interested in even looking at or pursuing or one that kind of, you know, they're kind of like a little bit of a spark, you know? Yeah. And you know, who knows what, what that's going to ignite that spark. If you give it a little bit to, to light, but like what it lights up might light up something else. And then, you know, and eventually that will, you know, eventually something will catch if you kind of keep going down the road. I think the, where, people kill off their potential is when they have an idea and they go, Oh, that will never work. You know, or they have an idea and they have no like willingness to pursue it and go down that road a little bit. Mm -hmm. I think that's where like, that's where the graveyard of ideas really exists is it's not, it's, it's probably far less like quote unquote bad ideas that occurred. It was more like, ideas that were abandoned, you Mm -hmm. know? And, and like, there's all sorts of reasons why to abandon ideas. And I think, you know, at some point, sometimes you have an idea and you go, okay, well, this isn't working anymore and it's time to walk away. But I don't know if you can, I don't know if you can take an idea and go like, before you've even done any action, before you've done anything to like forward it and look at it and know for sure that it was not a good idea. But I think like, you know, right now, okay, so I wrote this feature. I've been talking about it a bit. It was lit on by an idea, basically inspiration. The fuel hit. I don't know what was going on. There was something burning inside me like, and it just boom, script poured out. Um, now I'm kind of doing the edits. It's like going to be all wrapped up here. Third draft, pretty much ready to rock and roll. I'm going to start sharing it. We'll probably pump out, you know, another draft or two over the course of pre-production. We're shooting this thing June 27th. Like this thing's moving like a, a locomotive. I'm just yeah. like, holy crap. Like just hang on, man. You know, you got, you know, but it's exciting. Yeah. Um, my next script, I already have kind of, you know, the initial steps of it kind of like planning it out. It's like, once this production's done, I'm going to launch that into post-production and editing, and I'm already going to be on my next script. And, and my third idea, which has been brewing actually for months, kind of started to come to the light and I started to go, Oh, maybe this is time now, you know, but the thing is, is that, then there was another idea I had for a bit. And I'm like, it was going to be my script, my third script. And then I kind of just like, I thought about it. I was like, ah, it's pretty good, but it was like a pretty good idea. It wasn't like I was super excited about it. And then I woke up 
um, the other day and I'm like, I don't remember the idea. And I was like, okay, no problem. I'll let it go. But not because I wasn't willing to try, but because it just obviously was not meaningful enough to me. Yeah. I just want to say one last thing you mentioned earlier. And I think this is a really important thing for us to talk about that how emotion plays a part in it. Yeah. I think we need to feel like we want, like this is something important to us. Cause like, I think we have a lot of ideas, but some ideas stand out more because there's some emotional thing for us. There's some like it, you know, it actually has some energy and motion already. But yeah. I think if you don't have any feeling about it, you're like, Oh, it'd be a good idea, but I don't really care. That's not a good idea to yeah. pursue, you know? But if you had an idea, you're like, Oh, it'd be so cool if someone could do this or if I could do it if you feel something and you get excited about that or exhilarated, I think that's an idea you want to kind of venture down and just kind of start knocking down some doors. See what, see what it would take. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. No emotion is, is huge. Mm -hmm. It's that it's kind of that, um, I don't know what Geiger counter or whatever it is. It's like, it's a bit of a litmus test for your connection to it, which you do need to have a strong emotional connection to any project. If you're going to, I, I, I feel at least anyhow, because if you're doing it just for the sake of being interesting, then the, the best result I feel like you can come out with is it's very clever, which I've also been told is one of the worst compliments you can ever pay an artist is it's very clever. Mm -hmm. I think clever is like, like it's out thinking your, your, your authenticity. Yeah. You know, it's like, like, I think it's, I think, you know, like, let's just go back to it. So my, my initial research was authenticity and the more I see it. And and I was actually listening to a talk and someone was talking about authenticity, the value of authenticity. I don't remember the talk regardless. I think the reason why people won't be authentic, because like, I think you hear that you go, okay, I can agree with that. I think all those films have an authenticity to them. So then you go, why don't we do it? I think authenticity carries with it vulnerability. Yeah. And so there's kind of a a price to pay for it. Yeah. And it's not, it's not a negative, but in our culture, we're taught our whole life not to be vulnerable. We're taught not to share, not to expose ourselves. I mean, we, we live in a culture right now. I mean, the Western culture, which is basically don't express yourself. Take a pill for it. You shouldn't be upset. Take a pill for it. You know, you're feeling down, have a drink have a smoke. You know what I mean? Don't do any hard drugs, but you know, there's lots of things that will help heal that emotional thing. Oh, you know, like, oh, you know, if you're depressed or bury it right deep down. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. (laughs) If you're depressed, you know, you can do that privately, but like, don't bring it out here in public with us Mm because we don't want to see it. We want you to smile. We want you to be happy. And by the way, happy is the only emotion that's good. Yeah. You know, all these emotions like anger and sadness and whatever, like those aren't so good. Also too much excitement. That's not good either. We don't like that. You know, we kind of live in a society that's like, what the hell? So I have like how many expressions, how much expression can I actually have in this world? Right. And so vulnerability requires expression. And so I think we live in a culture that's like taught us not to express. And so it's very hard for us to be you know, and it's not real vulnerability. I mean, it's not like we're really vulnerable. It's vulnerable because we have to buck the system. We have to go against societal norms. We have to be real. We have to be ourself. And, and, and I think authenticity, what it does, what makes it so interesting is 
When someone's authentic, they all of a sudden stand out as one of a kind in society. But society has taught us that we need to look like everyone else and fit in like everyone else. So authenticity is against the system Mm -hmm. naturally. So that's why I don't think we're authentic yet. All the rewards seem to exist in authenticity. Yeah. So, um, you know, so most of us kind of got a, a botched education around that. And now we get older, we become artists and we go, okay, like I need to start figuring out me, right. And, and having the courage enough to be me in the world and use and actually express me in my art. Yeah. And what if nobody likes it, but like, who gives a shit if nobody likes it? Like we need to first, I think what we need to do is we need to do ourselves, be real with ourselves, not worry about if people like that or not, but we need to do that for ourselves to do something where we start. Cause I think that's what art does with authenticity. It helps us see who we are, mm-hmm. you know, because if we don't, um, if we don't ever f- express ourselves that way, we never really get to find out who we are and what we're made of. Yeah. And then we have no hope of really creating anything of substance, value, originality, all sorts of things. Mm-hmm. There's no hope for it. Well, and you know, like when Reservoir Dogs came out, if you look at Reservoir Dogs and then post Reservoir Dogs, pre-Reservoir Dogs, post-Reservoir Dogs. There's a lot of films that came out. You'll never know them. Yeah. A lot of films came out. They're carbon copies of Reservoir Dogs. Lots of people trying to make Reservoir Dogs. Yeah. It's the thing about Reservoir Dogs is Reservoir Dogs was authentic. And these other carbon copies are trying to do what Reservoir Dogs did, but, yeah. but through the like, carbon copy of it. And whenever you, yeah, whenever you just try and like copy something, it always usually comes down to like superficial aesthetic things about it, like stylistic things. And you're like, okay, that's like, you know, and one of the things like, you know, I, I, I hear people rip on Quentin Tarantino say like, oh, he's just like, uh, he, he, he was, he's just stole a lot from like Sergio Leone and, um, uh, it was Kurosawa. Kurosawa, Uh, you know, and the thing is like, you know, he's certainly taken influence and inspiration, but I'm sorry, you put if you put their films together side by side, they're different. Mm -hmm. Like he took, he took inspirations from them, but he didn't take them. He didn't ever try to be them. He just tried to make movies that he loved to make. He tried to tell stories that he wanted to tell, you know, say the things he wanted to say, create the things he wanted to create. Like that was just, that like you can feel that in just about everything that he does. He's just like, this is me doing something that I think is great. This is something that I think is awesome. Maybe you'll think it's awesome too. And not everybody does. Right. But a lot of people do. So it's, I mean, you can get into the whole conversation of, well, a masterpiece is kind of, that's like a subjective thing as well. And yeah, to a degree, there's subjectivity to it. Usually there seems to be some kind of like a collective agreement amongst some people that it's like, Oh, this was a masterpiece, but not always. No. Um, you know, one of my favorite Neil Young albums is one that whenever I talk to it, talk about it with people, they're like, Oh, I've never heard of that one. And most people know a lot of like Neil Young's albums, like, um, like, um, harvest and after the gold rush, you know, they're like, Oh yeah, those like, I remember like, those are great. And I do think that they're great albums. I think they're really great, 
but then I'm like, but on the beach is a masterpiece. Like (laughs) for me, I'm like, that album is a masterpiece. And so many people have never even heard it, heard of it because he doesn't have like the big sort of like songs, the big radio hits that like he had from some of those other albums. Hmm. I don't know if there was anything on that one that is a big single that I've ever heard played like on a classic rock station before. I've never heard anything off of that album played, Hmm. but it's genius. Hmm. Genius in my opinion. (laughs) Well, yeah, this is, uh, I, I, so I think we're getting, I think we're getting down to something. I think we're, 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 we're drilling down into like what this, this thing is, this masterpiece idea. And I think really like, I think we can kind of agree that there's, you know, be interested, not interesting and figure out how to honor yourself and be authentic and express yourself in whatever art medium you're doing. And thirdly, don't worry so much about how other people receive it. Don't worry if it's everybody's favorite or just your own favorite. But I, but I think first my advice at just at this point in the conversation is the first and most important thing that we need to do is have the confidence to go off on our own and do something we believe in. And, and I think it's like, make your own little masterpiece, make something that's a masterpiece. And the only person you need to impress is yourself mm. and impress yourself in a way that you don't expect, like not like go into it, not knowing how you'll impress yourself. Like I, I don't know what's going to happen with this film, Love Lost. I don't even know if it's going to be called that at the end of the day, but it's my own little masterpiece. I'm, I'm so happy with it. I, yeah. I, I'm, it's one of my, it will be a film I refer to from the, for the rest of my career. Yeah. Um, it, it, no one ever may like it. I mean, it might be a piece of shit. I don't know. But <laughs> the thing is, is for me, it got something really authentic out of me. Yeah. You know, for me, and that was really healing and really great. Um, it's leading me on to a whole bunch of other projects that I have in the, in the wings now, which maybe something in those wings is going to be really great for everyone else. But that film needed to be written. I don't know why (laughs) I'm not really sure. I, I even like, when I wrote it, I was like, Oh man, like, man, I'm feel like I'm putting a lot of my heart out here and like, kind of, you know, I feel like that's, it's, it's, it was, it was kind of, but it needed to be done. I don't know how to explain it. Yeah. And so I think the thing is, is that, um, I kind of thought back to like that Rob Reiner, like when we met Rob Reiner, Rob Reiner said, you know, I asked him, my question to him was, you know, as a young filmmaker, what kind of films do you think I should focus on making? And he said, he, he was talking about, um, Spinal Tap. He was talking about Stand By Me. And he said, you know, I never knew Stand By Me would be a big hit but it's just the story about those kids that really connected with me. It was meaningful. And he said, you know, basically make a bunch of films that are meaningful to you and whether they hit or don't hit, you'll, you'll have made a bunch of meaningful films. And yeah. so like love lost is one of my meaningful films. It's yeah. one of those fulfilling little things that I've done. And I think it's filled the well so full that now I could write just about anything because I'm so full. Right. But like before, when I was writing for everybody else, which I was doing, you know, I've shared the yeah. last two years, I was writing for everybody else. I was empty. I just got tapped out. I thought I didn't even want to write screenplays anymore. Yeah. And now I'm like, can't stop me. I got like three more like ready to go, you know? Like, so I think what I had to do for me was I had to do something that was like authentically me for me and not for anybody else, but like, you yeah. Know, 
but it, you know, I don't know what'll happen with it, but it's, it's, that's kind of my advice really is I think if you want to kind of have your masterpiece, the first person you need to impress is yourself. Yeah. You know, and you never have to impress anybody else, but you might, you might end up finding out that by impressing yourself that you actually make something totally unexpected that ends up kind of really kind of landing with other people too. Um, you know, you wrote on the highway. I don't know. I think that's like a, it's kind of a little bit of a masterpiece to me in a certain way, because it spoke to me very personally at a um, time in my life. I would love to see that movie get made and for someone else to have a similar response to me. I, I kind of maybe think that that might be happen. I, I don't really look at it like being the super famous film. I mean, who knows? Maybe it will be, but, but for me, I looked at it and that always kind of inspired me. That's actually, I, I, I attribute that film a lot for like what helped me to kind of take the to turn down, literally turn down paying jobs to go and write something that I don't know if I'll ever make a dollar from, mm-hmm. uh, you know, was kind of the idea that what is this art to me? Like, why am I an artist? Am I going to be an artist who's like a glorified typist for everybody else? Or am I going to ex- just doing this for like a paycheck? Yeah, like, which you know. I was, and I was, you know, and it's like, you know, and I was really seriously considering getting like kind of a normal job just to make more consistent money because that's how bad it got. Like that is the death of art. When you start like, when art starts to become a paycheck, it starts to become kind of a, it becomes for everyone else. Yeah. It becomes a grind. Yeah. Yeah. And so the lesson and I really learned part was, of the whole point is like, yeah. it was for us to not have to be in the grind. Right. Isn't that why you become an artist? I think so. I mean, that's a big reason why I did. Yeah. And I think there's always like kind of a grind to life, but I don't think we should pollute our art with that. I don't think we should pollute our creativity so much with these, with the grind. I think every now and then, you know, you like, I've built a certain amount of skill where people will pay me to do it. But, um, I, I'd rather make money from something else if it meant that I had to basically pollute my art because it's not really worth it. It's like, it's, it's too personal, you know, Mm -hmm. but I feel like if I keep going down the road, I'm going down. I, I see myself as actually making money doing what I love and, and not because I think what had happened was I started to believe that the only way for me to make money as an artist was to kind of accommodate other people. Yeah. And so I think I wasn't really expressing my ideas. I mean, you know, one of the last scripts I wrote, I mean, I had some of my ideas were in there, but mostly I was told what to do. Yeah. And, and, and that was the most, um, I don't know, disappointing process for Mm -hmm. me ever writing. I've never, I, up until that point, I'd never really written a script where I was so much of the vision of it was not my own. And I really didn't like it. I'm just like, I really went kind of like, I don't want to do that anymore. I, I don't know if I ever want to do that again. I think if I ever got hired to write a story again, I, I actually, I know this, I would tell the people, I'd say, listen, you're going to give me this idea, this concept you want me to write, and I'm going to make it my own. And you, and I will turn around and I will give you what I give you. And if you yeah. don't like it, then you don't like it. If you want someone to be your glorified typist to type it out, I'm not your writer. And I'm going to say that I have no qualm saying that. Yeah. Because the thing is to me, I look at it like, I don't know how to express how soul sucking it is when there's nothing in you 
And, and it's, and it's this thing that I fought so hard to do in my life. You know yeah. what I mean? It's like, you're going to hand off the ball and I'm going to run with it. Exactly. But you've got to be okay. You can't run with me holding the ball too. No, <laughs> <laughs> but I will pass the ball back to you at a certain point. Yeah. And you can, t- and, and we can deal with that then. And you can run with it, yeah. but I need to be able to run with it yeah. I need <laughs> on to my be own. Able to run with it. And yeah, yeah, it's kind of, it's kind of like, and that taught me a lot as an artist. It taught me how to kind of take my power as an artist and take my authority, you know, these, these experiences sometimes, even though like they can be so, uh, discouraging and at the time they can be so valuable to us. They can really give us focus. They can really put things into perspective for us and, and, teach us something about ourselves, which is, um, really valuable. We talked a bit about that kind of stuff on our last podcast. Yeah. Well, and you know, I'm glad I, I'm glad I've gone down this road. I mean, I wrote, I don't know how many scripts during the last few years, probably three years, really. Um, I don't know how many scripts I wrote. Um, and to certain degrees, you know, not really having all of them be my own kind of idea. Um, but I'm, I, I'm not, I don't regret doing it. I think what I'm proud of myself for is that I hung in there and when things got bad, instead of giving up, instead of walking away and just simply deciding I don't like writing and storytelling, like screenwriting at least anymore, um, that I hung in there and I kind of, kind of got back on the horse and went off and wrote my own script. And I was hanging out with another screenwriter who's quite successful and they were saying to me, you know, don't, don't make any decisions about screenwriting right now don't make any big decisions about your career as a screenwriter right now. You're not in the, you're not in the right space, yeah. you know? And I, I knew that they were right. And I was, I really appreciate that they said that cause they could tell, they could tell that I was very like, I was just like a defeated, you yeah. know? And I was getting through the last bit of the work and being like, I don't know what I'm doing here, you know? Yeah. And, and um, but I think the thing is, is I had to go down that road. I don't know how else I could have learned that lesson. You know, I mean, uh, maybe, I don't, I don't know if a mentor could have told me, I don't yeah, know if no, a school could have prepared me. Sometimes you need to have the experience of something. You got to push something as far to the edge as you, as, as you can, and then go, nope. Well, <laughs> and that's why, that's why I said, you know, Mark Zuckerberg was saying, you know, you got to start, you got to like work at this idea. Right. And so I had an idea of that. If I did screenwriting this way, that this would be my avenue into being a screenwriter. And I went down that road and, and at a certain point I was like, no, this is a, this is a losing horse. There is no, there is no victory with this path for me personally. And you know, there's a lot of really important stuff in there in that to me, it's like, and again, in my experience, an idea doesn't reveal all of it's like, oftentimes it's most magical things to you. It doesn't, it, it, but it only reveals the stuff while you're doing it. That's the thing. It's like, it doesn't all just reveal itself right away. It reveals a part of it and you go a little further into it and it reveals a little bit more of itself and reveals a little more of itself, but you have to keep going through with it. That's the, that's one thing that I've noticed. Mm in the whole creative process, which is why I saying like, just get started with the seed of the idea because it will, it will keep showing itself things that you don't expect that are extraordinary. And that way you end up getting all of these, like 
you get like a bunch of eureka moments in the process of it, as opposed to waiting for one big eureka moments where suddenly everything is clear and the skies just open up and you just like, and you know, it's just like, it's a, it's, it's a fucking illusion, you know, like it doesn't, it's not how it goes down. It's actually, and that's the thing is like, we think of that as being like just the, the ultimate thing experience to have is this one big Eureka. And it's like, yeah, there's, there's a romanticism that's around that, but the actual truth of it, again, as I've discovered of when you learn to give up some control and needing to have things go a certain way or trying to have things be perfect and and know how it's all going to be. When you give that up and you surrender to another part of the process of the creative process is that it's actually way fucking better. Mm. It's way more enjoyable because you get a bunch of moments you get tons of them. They just keep happening. They just line up one after the other. Sometimes you got to slug it out a little bit, but then it, the next one happens. And then maybe the next one just kind of like glides right in and you just like, and now you're in that flow, mm-hmm. right? As we talked about in our last podcast, you know, in the zone, things are flowing or dialed in, dialed in, tapped in, tapped in. <laughs> losing yourself, right? Like it's just like all of, all of these wonderful things that we talk about in, in creation. Um, that's when, when you find those, those zones, but there's a a degree of, of letting go. Um, you know know what I also want to say is like the letting go thing is so important because you got to detach from the results. I think that's, if you want to get into flow and you want to get dialed in and tapped in and and be willing to do that, you have to not be so concerned with how it's going to result in, because like the big lesson that I kind of have been learning and it's kind of been, I've been getting hit over the head with it more and more is just obstacles are opportunities. Mm -hmm. These, these, these roadblocks, these challenges, these things in your way are an opportunity for something. And you, you, you know, so if it just went the way I wanted, I wouldn't have the opportunity. So it's good. The obstacle came. It's good. The challenge came because it's now it's getting me to think another way, which is creating a new idea, a new creative pursuit, a new direction, which might be headed towards the same ultimate goal. But now it's, it's giving me like ingenuity, right? It's building something. And and so these obstacles, they give us the adventure, but we have to stop looking at things, not working out the way we want as a bad thing. We have to start looking at them as a good thing. It's like, like now I'm like, kind of like, Oh, it's so good. This didn't work out the way I wanted. Like, what is this giving me a a possibility of now? And I'm really getting in that practice. Yeah. And so like, I think, you know, there's going to be all sorts of roadblocks as we start to build these masterpiece ideas, but it's going to be how we deal with those roadblocks that matters. It's not going to be like, but I think if you make the decision and, and, and what I'm finding is as I've made the decision to be like embrace obstacles and embrace these things. It actually is kind of a flow because now it's almost like I can do no wrong. And like, I remember playing sports and like, um, you know, like going in and like, you know, running up against the defenseman or, or going in against the, the goalie or whatever. And like, of course, 
you might not score. Of course you might get checked. Of course all this stuff could happen. And sometimes it did. But the thing is, is like, you go in there and you try it. And every once in a while, maybe sometimes if you get, if you really practice more than, more than, more than, more often than not, you, you do something kind of magical, kind of mm-hmm. impressive. I remember there's this one time I was coming in on a goal, a goalkeeper, right? I, I broke away from the defense. It was like from the blue line breakaway. I came in and I don't know what, it was really weird. It was a very simple deke. It was kind of like, like kind of left, right, left. And then I just kind of like, kind of just almost let the puck kind of glide through his legs. And then I, I scored and it was like really great goal and everything. And my friends were like, that goal was so amazing. I remember they, like my teammates came up to me. They're like, whoa, like what you did there. I don't really know how I did it. Like, yeah. kinda, like it was weird. It was like, I went You're in not thinking about no. it. And, and the thing is, is like, it, it wasn't like, what was weird is like all my practice in that moment. Like, and I remember it so specifically because I remember their amazement of the goal. Like, so to them, the goal was kind of this masterpiece goal. But to me, it was kind of like, I just was kind of responding. And so that's kind of how it went. And I didn't try to make it look pretty. I guess it did look really pretty, but it was like one of those things, right? Yeah. I, th- I think that's kind of how it works. You know, like I'm trying to relate my experiences. I mean, obviously I've never yeah. done like no sp- some I mean, big thing that's in magazines, but I've yeah. had these moments in life where, we, and I think we've all yeah. like, you know, if you're listening to this, I'm sure you can think of some experience you had in your life where you were just tapped in yeah. where it's like time just seemed to slow down and things just like things just came rolling out like no problem. I, I think the first experience I ever had with that was playing, was uh, playing basketball like on, like for my school, this was like an elementary school too. I was like, I was like 12 years old or something like the smallest person in the class too made me a great point guard. But, um, I remember, and it's like, they were super low scoring games, those games, like, you know, they were super short, like the quarters were only like, I don't even remember how long they were, not long. Uh, They would be over pretty quickly. And usually like the score was about like 30 points, you know, like they were in that 30, 30 range ballpark. Yeah. And I don't even know what it was. I had this one and I had this one game and I put up like 12 points or something all like all within like a short period of time. And people were just like, you know, they were just dishing me the rock because I was just like, dishing you the rock. yeah. <laughs> and I was, I was like, and I, and I was just tapped in and I, I didn't have the sort of, cause I was so young at the time, but I remember it in retrospect being like, I just remember how easy everything just felt in that game. Like as a kid, like going through it and it was just like, it was just like, I was almost watching myself and just everything had slowed down. And I, and it was just like, it was almost like I was one sort of like a split second ahead before it happened. Mm. Everything was just that sort of tapped in feeling, Mm -hmm. even just being like throwing, like throwing up a shot, which I would normally never do in a game. Normally I was always like, go for the layups. Cause like, if you see an open for a layup, like I could drain it every single time if I got a clear lane. And that was shots for something, especially at that age, you're a little more inconsistent with that. But I remember just like getting hit with it. And I'm just like backboarding in boom, backboarding in. And it was just like, 
holy shit, like, it was like nothing, I, there was no wrong I could possibly do. Hmm. But it was still very much in the moment. Every single time, like, it wasn't me being like, coming back up the court and, and being like, okay, this is what I'm going to do this time. This is what I'm going to do this time. It was just like such a present focus on what was going on. And it was like one of the best sort of like team sports performances I probably ever had in my life. You know, I played on, you know, basketball teams further on and further on. I had some good days and stuff too, but I remember that one in specific Hmm. just because it was, it was so almost out of body, the whole experience of it. And then it was like, it was sort of like the masterpiece of a game because it was just like, cause everybody was just like losing their minds. I'd basically put up like half our points, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? right? Like, cause they were just such low scoring games. That was like half the score and we won the game, right? It was ridiculous, <laughs> <laughs> but it feels so good when you're in that place. And it's just, and like the, like your brain just takes total, total back seat. Well, I think there's something, yeah, there's something about it where, you know, it's kind of belief. I think what, I think what we're tapping into now is kind of the belief. Like once you have an idea, it's not that you, it's more faith. It's not like, you know, it's not like you have any kind of facts. It's, it's, it's simply, you have this kind of faith to, to venture out that wherever I go and wherever I end up will be okay. And like, um, you know, I think back to my sport highlight moments. I think back to any highlight moment I had. And there's this kind of like, there's almost this beauty of like, when you have nothing to lose, like all that kind of comes in is faith. I was listening to this actually this morning as well. Uh, Tom Hanks was talking Mm. and he was talking about, um, faith and fear. And he was saying like, basically our choices are really faith or fear. That's in Mm. almost all moments we either have, we either choose to live with faith or we choose to live with fear. And that is really the cornerstone of belief. Mm -hmm. Um, Belief, if you break down the word is be live. How am I being? How am I living? You either are being and living with faith or you're being and living with fear. And so I think you can go into a situation and be scared, you know, and that will inform how the situation plays out in a lot of ways. I think sometimes you don't have faith and you're going to be scared. And the win is that you went into it courageously. You go into it anyway. You, you use bravery mm-hmm. because there is nothing, there is no faith to have. You don't have that. It's, it's not going to be there and that's fine. So all you do is you go, you know, I'm scared. I'm going to do it anyway. And yeah. there's something admirable about that. But then there's faith, which is that I don't know how it's going to work out. I don't know what's going to happen, but I, I have this sense that it could, I have this sense that it can, I have this sense that it even will. And, and that's where I think we, we kind of tap into flow, you know, where you go into something and you don't know how it's going to work out. You don't know what's going to happen, but for some reason you, you, you do it. And, and it kind of does like when I went on that breakaway, I was just sharing, you know, I I don't know why, but I remember getting on it and being like, I'm going to score. But I didn't know how I was going to score. I didn't know what was going to happen. I didn't know it would look like that or anything. But like, in that moment, I just knew I would, you know, Mm -hmm. there's been other moments in my life where, um, 
you know, where I've been just scared and I, and I don't believe in myself at all. I don't believe anything's going to work out, but I have found that if I'm willing to be courageous, there's a massive reward that can come in that. And it might not be this kind of wonderful zone dialed in, tapped in feeling we're talking about, but I think that's the struggle of the artist. I think we, we really have to do two things. We, we need to encourage ourselves to live with faith. Mm-hmm. so that we can get dialed in, tapped in and have that flow state and, and go into the unknown with simply a kind of like trust and hope and faith that it will work out. And we don't know how it's totally unknown, but it will. And we're just going to go and we're going to do everything we know we need to do. And that when we get there and when we find out whatever it is, we'll, we'll figure it out and we'll do it. And I think yeah. when you come up to an obstacle, you look at all obstacles as opportunities you don't ever look at them as a, as something that holds you back or a limitation. You just look at it as a new opportunity. And if you keep doing that with faith, you will start to find flow state. I mean, I've been tapping in the last few weeks and I've been talking about this every podcast. I'm in the zone right now. Yeah. I keep tapping into flow more, like more in the last few weeks, two weeks, probably two, three weeks than I have all year. And maybe even all of last year, I'm just like, I'm just tapping into flow constantly. Yeah. And then I'm out of it a little, and then I'm back in. So I think that's, that's part of it. And I'm kind of just, I'm being and living with faith right now. I had just have so much faith in myself and my future. I don't know how any of this shit's going to work out, but I just, I don't know what I, I, I tapped into that. Yeah. The, the, the other thing I'd say is the other part of the artist struggle. And this is just my opinion right now at this point in my life. But the way it seems to me is that we got to go against our fears, even though we don't believe in ourselves and we're not we don't know how to be and live that way, but just that's the kind of fake it till you make it. I'm scared, but I'm going to be courageous. I'm scared, but I'm going yeah. to be brave. I'm not dialed in. I don't know how this is going to work out. And that freaks the shit out of me. And I don't think it will, but I'm going to do it anyway. That's what won us that game against the best team in the league. Yeah. We all showed up. We're like, we don't know how this is going to work, but we're going to play our hearts out. And we won one, nothing. And that's all it takes. One goal, one little thing. And I think that's the thing is as artists, we're so hard on ourselves. We think we have to have this big Eureka moment, but really like, I don't even know. I don't, I, the goal is probably a garbage goal. Even like it probably yeah. wasn't even that pretty, but I don't even remember the goal. Yeah. I, I honestly, I don't, but I remember all the saves our goalie making. I just remember our goalie, like stopping things that should have gone in and just like us barely hanging on by a thread all yeah. game. And like, like, I think that sometimes as an artist, that's what it's like. We're barely hanging on for a thread. It's not this glorious, like we're the champions moment. It's the, we're just hoping that we can hang in long enough for this to work out. Yeah. And that's the other side of it. And I think it's kind of those two things. And I think masterpieces are built on us. Just keep showing up when you're scared. And then the rest of the time, go into the unknown with faith and belief and, and don't listen to the rest of the world. That's trying to give you stats and data and, and all this other reality quote unquote, cause it's bullshit. They don't know. Yeah. They don't know. You know, um, I was listening to Denzel Washington talk. He's an, I'm, I'm listening to lots of talks, Yeah, but you know, Denzel Washington was talking about how like he stopped listening to what people were telling him. He's like, you know, you told me when I was younger that I could do anything. And now you're telling me I can't. What is it? I'm going with, I can do anything, you know? So what story are we going to tell? And then, you know, he talks about how he booked his first movie and he was down at welfare collecting his hundred and whatever dollar check. And he's like, 
the guy's like, what, well, what are you doing here? You were just in a movie. He's like, I know I'm, I'm trying to get by. I think the thing is, is like, there's no point where you make it. He was kind of pointing out that you just, he's like, I won't, I will have made it by keep showing up, by keep doing the hard work, by keep going. And, and he lived. Yeah. Right. That's, you know, and that's such an important thing. It's like, it might be a little bit of a sidestep on this, but you know, yeah, that whole thing of, of making it of, you know, that's such a bullshit that fits into all of this as well. That's like, you know, it's like, you know, what making it, you know, or maybe not that making it is, is doesn't exist, but the way that we look at making it is skewed. We see making it as being that eureka moment, this one thing. And now everything has changed and they all lived happily ever fucking after. It's like making it is every fucking day and making it every day is doing the shit you fucking love. Making that your life is doing the shit that you love to do. And I think that what's kind of brilliant about what Mark Zuckerberg is saying is just like, this is a, a, is a way of seeing it so that you just do what you love. You just have a seed. Fuck it. Go just fucking go. This is what you want to do, right? Mm -hmm. Do it. Just, just start. You don't have to have it all figured out. Just, just go. And then you just keep going and you keep going and you keep going. And next thing you know, and it's like with Rob Reiner, as you talked about earlier, you know, it's like, you know, this, this film or whatever it is, it may or it may not. I have no idea. But at the end of the day, I spent my life. I spent my life doing shit I loved. And isn't that the whole fucking point is to spend our lives doing things that we fucking love to do. Yeah. Like when, if, if there's any better pursuit of anything, it's not for some big glorious fucking moment It's to spend most of our time doing shit we love. Yeah. That's a fucking life well lived. But I mean, you know, it's preach it, brother. Preach it's it. Good. You're, <laughs> yeah, I agree. I, I hear you. Yeah, it took, it took me a lot of a lot of years to really embrace that. I mean, I feel like I've had moments in my life. I feel like this is the first time in my life where where I'm re- that's really beginning to settle in because yeah. I was just so so closely faced with the alternative of of kind of falling back to this, um, you know. And I, I realized like. I want to do this. This is so fulfilling and exciting to me. And, and, you know, I've always looked at, at, um, you know, doing like, cause you know, a lot of these actors, they'll talk about, you know, screenwriters, people will talk about how they had to take a job for a little bit to make some money to whatever. I, I, I look at that as like, yeah, I do those jobs to fuel my life so I can live it the way I want. I don't yeah. fuel it to, you know, cause I think the thing is if you have a job or you have something you do and you hate it, at least hate it for a good reason, at least hate yeah. it. Cause it's getting you the opportunity to do something you love, Yeah. but don't like, don't just hate your job and then hate your life too. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like, you know, maybe you can love both. Maybe you can love both your, your job career and your life. Yeah. And, and I, I hope that for everybody, but you know what? Like sometimes I work but I work when I work, I work to do the life I love. And I think that when I was referring to that screenwriting stuff I was talking about, I was working, not, I was doing those jobs to make money. I wasn't necessarily doing those jobs because I love them. Yeah. At least at first maybe I was, and then it slowly became more of a, I'm doing this because I want, I need to make money. Yeah. And I didn't have a script that I was writing for me. I had lots of scripts I was writing for other people. And so then I was making money, but then for what? 
for what am I making this money for? Why am I doing it? And so I didn't have, you know, I started to hate the screenwriting because the screenwriting like wasn't helping me do more of what I love. And the thing is, is, you know, what I really want to do is I want to, I I like screenwriting, but I want to also make films. I want to act at least at this point in my life. And I want to travel. Those are the things I want to do. And I want to be with my friends. I want to drink some beer and have great conversations. And that is what I want to do with my life. And everything else I do, as far as money goes, is simply to make more of that happen. Yeah. And then when I look at my future and I look at maybe what I'm building with savings and whatnot, I look at how I want to create that for my children and for my friends and for people in my life. And so that is why I'm willing to sacrifice some of my, um, say, money that I might just spend on me so that I can simply have more of the means to be able to also be a champion for other people that way who, who matter to me in my life. Right. And so I look at it that way, but now that I'm clear, I'm fucking on. Right. But before I wasn't, and it was like just riding on fumes, man. I don't know how to describe it. And I'm sure there's people out there who can can relate to this. You know, you're doing a job you hate and you live in a life you hate. Something's got to give. Right. Yeah. And hopefully it's not your life. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That was just what I was thinking. <laughs> like, yeah, hopefully it's not your fucking life. Like yeah. gives jobs are temporary. Careers are temporary. You hate yeah. your career. Maybe you went to law school. I, this is my novels about, about an, a guy who went to law school. He's a lawyer. He successfully works for a firm and he quits his job and goes and travels the world. And yeah. so I was like, who cares how much you put into this thing? If you hate it, you can stop. You don't have to go by put, I went to school for eight years. I did this for eight years. I wanted, I don't know why I just had this, this, I needed to create a lawyer. And it was like kind of the perfect thing because he put so much effort into getting his life to this point for him to drop it all was like, you know? Yeah. Right. And I think that's kind of like what we, we, you know, it's your life, man. Like, you know, I'm saying this to everybody. We only have so much of it to live. So if you're doing something that's like, you know, you hate it, it's a loser fucking path and you know, it's a loser path and it's turning you into a loser because you're not a loser, but you're doing something that feels losing either fucking figure out how to win at it and fucking give your all and, and, and love winning at, a, at this thing or get off of it and go do something else. That's my call to action. Yeah. Cause like life is short, man life is short. And, and I I was writing my journal this morning. I was like, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying that nothing was working, but for a little while there, I was the walking fucking dead. Mm -hmm. I was walking and I was alive as far as everyone else could tell, but I was dead inside and I knew it. And it, and, and I hit this point where I, I had to kind of go there. I had to feel what it was like to not have a purpose to live for. I just didn't really have a reason. I was kind of going through the actions. And I think I'm glad that I had enough of the wherewithal to just keep doing like, I'm like, I I don't know why I'm doing this. I don't know if it's going to work out. I know I just kept kind of writing. I kept kind of doing things, but that was not a great path. And I'm glad I went through it, but I'm glad I'm off it now you know? And I, and, and I, I, I never thought I would ever walk down that path. I never thought I would ever lose sight of my passion and my dream, but I did for a little bit. And there is no greater pain that I've ever experienced than to be walking my days going like, I don't know, what's the point? What's the point of life? Why am I doing, why am I doing any of this stuff? I thought this stuff was supposed to like be my thing. And I was, 
it wasn't that I was doing the wrong thing. It was that I was, I was doing it for the wrong reasons, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I, I, I think that's, that's kind of my, my, my call to action is if you're doing something you hate, if you're, if you're not happy, just take that as an opportunity. Don't, don't look at it as a bad thing. Don't take a pill, you know, take a chance, right? Try something. Take a chance, make a change. One last thing. And I know you love this guy. Alan Watts. No, no. He's a comedian. Oh, ask. George Carlin. No. Jim Carrey. Jim Carrey. All right. All right. <laughs> I, there's lots of people I love. You started guessing, so I wanted to play it. Yeah. <laughs> Jim Carrey was on Prozac for a little while. He talks about being on Prozac and he talks about how it's not that there's like, there's still highs and lows, but he talks about how it's like basically everything's just kind of numb, but everything's not really great, but it's, it's survivable, not great. Right. And he said, you know, the problem with the Prozac is like, it's, it's fine temporarily, but he's like, people stay on it for life. Yeah. And he's like, I had to get off of it. And, and so I think that's kind of like, you know, whether you take Prozac or you take some pill or not or whatever, we kind of have our own little forms of our Prozac and we got to get off of that. At some point we got to, we got to try life without the comfort. You know, if you're drinking all the time, if you have an alcohol problem, you've got to stop drinking for a little bit. You just got to stop. You got to try life without it. If you're yeah. smoking all the time, stop it. If you're sleeping in all the time, stop it. Just something, you know, you know, in your heart is not good for you right now. You got to just stop it. You're in an abusive relationship. Leave it. You know, we like until we are willing to have the courage to walk away from something not good, we are doomed to live it indefinitely. Now, if that is not a living hell, I don't know what is to be in something that like, it's easy to walk away from something that's like horrible, but something that's kind of like a little bit bad but soul sucking. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. That's, you know, that's harder to walk away from. All right. I got passionate about my speech, but, uh, since you're pouring some more beer, Evan. Yes. You want to, you want to talk about this beer a little bit? Well, I've been enjoying it. It's been going down real quick, real quick brew. And, uh, this is one that you've said you've had before. It's a favorite of yours, huh? Yeah. It's, um, it's a seasonal beer from a local place here in the lower mainland. I'll let you just have another little sip there to, um, to, uh, to wrap your taste buds on it focused so you can make some comments. (laughs) Well, it's, uh, it's a little foggy. Uh, so I'm guessing it's a wheat beer. Um, it's kind of got a little bit of a lemon, lemony taste to it. Uh, citrusy kind of thing. It's, uh, it's tasty. It's a real smooth, smooth drinker. It's, um, let me, let me give it another little shot here. I don't know what it is about it, but it's like when I first taste it, I'm like, Oh, it's pretty good. But the more I drink it, the more I like it. I don't know like why that is. Like when I first had it and you you were kind of pumped on, I was like, Oh yeah, it's pretty good. It's good. But the more I've been having it, the more I want to have of it which is kind of why it's dangerous, I suppess. Yeah. <laughs> but it's really good. I, I, I definitely like it yeah. a lot. I've never had it out of the, out of the bottle before. I always had it on, on tap. I, f- I always find stuff on tap is, is better. Yeah. This is way better on tap, but it's still really great. Um, this is from Russell Brewing Company. We're in Surrey, British Columbia. And this is uh, one of their seasonals. 
um, called The White Rabbit. Ooh. And it is a hoppy Hefeweizen. Oh, Hefeweizen. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, it is so a wheat beer. It's, it is a wheat beer, but it's a little bit hoppy. Yeah, you it's know, it's got a little s- extra hops to it than than a standard half wood. It's funny. I was gonna say it had a little hops to it because, like, when I first tried it, I actually thought it might have been an IPA, mm. just because it does have a little hop to it. But it had all the elements of a wheat beer, so yeah. it's like, is it? I, I, you know. So I was like, maybe he's trying to play a trick on me. I'm just gonna kind of stick yeah. with what I think I know. The last one <laughs> you had, you brought on, kind of played a trick on me. <laughs> But it was very good as well. Yeah. So yeah, Russell. Russell. Um, so okay, I went off on this little tangent and made my call to action. Yeah. What are your thoughts, my man? What are my thoughts? Well, you know, I for me it's like this is just like stop thinking so hard. <laughs> hmm. You know, like which is something that I would definitely accuse myself of. Uh, it used to be worse. I feel like I've gotten better. (laughs) I feel like I've gotten better with it, but it's one of those things I still battle with where it's just like, you know, it's like to, to just trust a little bit more to have, have the faith a little bit more to, to move forward with these ideas, you know, with these seeds of good ideas and having a greater sense of adventure about it, like like seeing where it all leads and, and, and takes me, you know, I think, we we've kind of, um, in some ways touched on a lot of things that we've have been talking about for a little while now. Um, especially recently on the show, just about detaching from the results of things, you know, doing more of what you, what you love, often authenticity, getting more in touch with, with, with yourself. And I think that begins with, uh, your emotions. Um, for myself, I'm just trying to think of, you know, my call to action in all of this. And well, maybe just think about what you would do. Like, t- like, the, the, like when I do a call to action and, and maybe this will help when I do a call to action, I always think of myself at 17 years old, starting my filmmaking career. And, and I, I think that there's some 17 year old kid that's out there like me and they need to hear that. And so when I do a call to action, I'm like, man, like I, I, I don't know why I always dial into that. That's where I tap into, but maybe that will help. Like maybe there's a certain point in your life where if you could have told yourself this, you would. Yeah. You know what? It would, I think it would be trust the impulse, you know, trust the impulse of creation when it hits hmm. and, and act on it, move on the impulse, move on it, no matter how small it is no matter what, however little it is that you've got. Something we also talk about on is I love when these things kind of just fold into themselves, you know, yeah, and just totally. like all of these little things that we've stumbled upon, just kind of keep on connecting and you're like, Whoa, it's all connected. Um, but it's yeah. Trust that impulse, follow that impulse, um, act on the impulse, no matter whatever it is that you have, trust it because it's enough it's enough to get this thing going. It's enough to give this thing expression and it will take shape. It will take form, but it's, it will, it will become its greatest. It will. Yeah. I don't know. It's, it's like, it will become its 
its best sort of self just by you doing it as opposed to you thinking it. Yes. Right. Doing so, is, is so important. Doing is the thing, well, that's you what know, he and said, like, you said, you got to do it. You yeah. Gotta, and it's not so fucking stressful. Thinking about it is stressful. Doing it, it actually really isn't all that stressful. Now that I think of it. <laughs> <laughs> it is well said. Yeah. <laughs> but doing it is never as stressful as the thinking about something. Hmm. So yeah, my call to action is, is to act on the impulse. However, however little it is, it's enough. All right. So, um, I'm going to, what I'm going to take away from this, cause I gave a call to action, but I'm going to share something I'm going to take away from this is I, I told you before we started the podcast, I'm going to start waking up earlier, but this really helped me see that one of my bad behaviors, not bad, but one of my behaviors I know is not, um, is not serving me right now in, in my pursuits and my goals is for the next month, I'm going to commit to, um, waking up at 5am. Um, let me say that I'll do this. Uh, I'll do this five days a week okay. at least. Yeah. But I'm going to do this five days a week. I'm going to wake up at 5am and I'm going to be out my door by seven at the latest, but I'm going to aim for six. Okay. So I'm going to be, I'm going to be waking up at five and my exercise. And I already knew this coming into the podcast, but this, this, discussion really helped like anchor it in for me. My exercise in the morning, and I know we didn't talk about this and I'll just share it is for the first 10 minutes, I like to lay in bed. I don't like to jump out of bed. I I actually don't think that's necessarily healthy. I'm going to lay in bed for the five, 10 minutes. And my, my goal is to do a meditation, not sleep, just lay there, stretch out, do a meditation of if I had everything I possibly ever dreamed of, everything I ever wanted, I'm just going to close my eyes, kind of imagine, let myself really feel the whole thing. What would I do right now? What would I do today? Given that that was the circumstance. And I, 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 when I, when I just try on that idea right now, I think, man, like I would want to get up and I would want to live that life that I had built for myself. And so I do believe that being and living as though something is so is what informs faith. And as I said earlier, I was sharing that, you know, we either live with faith or fear. I, I think that this will help reinforce my faith, which will give me what I need to keep maintaining the zone feeling that I've been having. Mm. I mean, I don't know what's, I don't even know how to summarize or sum up how this has occurred for me, but to be dialed in and to be this consistently dialed in day after day and this much motivation and excitement and, and thirst for life. My, my, my main objective right now is to maintain this for an extended period of time to continue tapping into where I'm in right now and my mindset and my place of my connectedness to my purpose and my vision and, and my reasons for living. And so I think also getting up will push against the discomfort. Cause really what I've been doing is I've been really 
kind of laying in bed too long in the morning and kind of sleeping in and not really getting on my goals and my, and my passion, you know, I've been kind of doing. And so that's kind of my Prozac. That's my bad behavior, you know, my negative behavior. So I'm going to change the sleeping in. So that's what I'm going to do moving forward. I'm going to kind of really use this talk about my masterpiece kind of being building my own masterpiece being that, okay, well, I'm just going to start taking action on that. That's something I can take action on. And I believe it will incrementally get me closer. And as I was sharing to you, I heard just someone said, uh, <laughs> um, inch by inch, it's a cinch. Yeah. <laughs> I like that saying though. I yeah. like it, you know, it's good. easy to remember. <laughs> yeah. Inch by inch, it's a cinch, but that's really it. I mean, persistence, right? Just keep kind of making little incremental moves and eventually you get a little closer, a little closer, a little closer. It becomes pretty easy eventually, you know? And eventually who knows? Who knows? Your masterpiece might just emerge who knows? Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> but either way, I mean, in the meantime, I'll be living life with some vigor, you know, yeah. with some, with some life in it. Cause I was living for a while without like a lot of life in there in the fog. Yeah. In the fog. Yeah. So that's my, that's my plan, man. Cool, man. Cool. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Anything else? No, no. My thing was kind of my thing. So your thing was your thing. the thing was the thing you keep on doing your thing. We'll do our thing. And that's the thing. And keep listening. Yeah. That was our show for today. Thanks a lot for listening and being a part of this. If you enjoyed our conversation, please subscribe and share with your friends and family. Or you can learn more and message us at www.thebndpodcast.com. Oh, and make sure to leave a comment and rate us on iTunes. That will really help us out a lot. It definitely will. Thanks. Thanks.